Amen. Would you stand up with me as I breathe this morning's scripture? It'll be uh, Galatians 5, 16 through 25. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed. There's programming down the hall for them. And uh, Joel, you can wear shorts anytime. I'd be glad to give you my shorts, but they wouldn't fit because obviously I'm more trim than you are. That's how that works. So sorry, can't help out today. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, I want you to think how much you would say you've changed in the last 10 years, in the last 10 years. Now ask yourself this, after you mull that over, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much will I change in the coming 10 years? And what I think you'll find is that we are more inclined to give a higher number for the first one. We can easily look back and say, oh, wow, I've changed. I, I used to, you know, I, I was this way, and, and now I, I'm, I'm different, right? I'm not that way. It's much harder for us to look forward and to say, I'm going to change. We have a difficult time conceiving of what the change is going to bring about in the future. Now, we have uh, uh, really neat, cool little apps that will help us a little bit uh, to know what we're going to look like in the future. And uh, we took some kids to uh, the Royals game Friday night, and so I snapped a few pictures of a few of our kids and just put, put them through the face app filter, okay? So this is, this is Joe, and I'm sorry, Joe, that I didn't get a good picture of you because you were closing your eyes halfway, but it's not going to matter when you're an old guy. Uh, because here's how you're going to look. There you go. There's Joe. Okay. Let's do another one. Uh, this is Tristan. And I got to tell you, Tristan, I took my catcher's mitt uh, because I always take, you got to take a glove when you go to the Royals game. You just have to. And I was this close to getting my, my hand on a foul ball Friday night. Uh, it was awesome. But I had a catcher's mitt. And uh, Tristan said, why do you bring a catcher's mitt? I said, because I was a catcher. That's why I bring, got a catch. You were a catcher? Yeah. He said, well, that's surprising. Well, why? 
because only athletes are catchers. So this is for Tristan. There's how Tristan's going to look. That's right. Don't mess with the preacher in the stands. There you go. Uh, this is Damien. And here's how Damien's going to look. Uh, Damien's going to look sweet as an older guy. There it is. He's on a skateboard at a pool somewhere. Yeah. And uh, here we go. This is Briley. And for the, for the girls here, I thought, uh, that's not fair to make them old. So we're going to make them young. So here's Briley. Yes. And Lucy. Let's make Lucy young. That looks good. And I think we have one more, maybe. Yeah, this is Eli uh, Williams. And, and how's he going to look? Uh, Eli's going to be in a mall somewhere and uh, with kids on his lap, Santa Claus. Um, people that do studies. Now, oh, oh, I have one more. I do have one more. Yeah, let's, let's do me. Because I thought, you know, uh, I'm going to look, you know, when I'm grown up, what am I going to look like? Well, I've put it through the filter. Here it is. Yeah! <laughs> I'm going to be Aquaman. It's going to be awesome. Uh, now, <laughs> why, why do I look like that? You know why. Because I was in control of my change, right? I, I was pulling the strings. People that do studies tell us this, that change is a fundamental part of a fulfilling life. And the more that we can direct and manage our own change in life the more fulfilling uh, life will be for us. And so if you could manage the way that you're going to look 20 years from now, what you would choose is to look like Aquaman. I mean, all of us would, right? Right? Or, you know, if you're a female, you'd choose somebody equivalent, right? It, what if I told you today that spiritually speaking, it is absolutely possible for us all to change into those kind of people that we would never otherwise imagine ourselves to be. And so we are in the last week of our VBS series uh, that we're taking the daily topics that our kids will learn about the week of VBS, and we're, we're sharing them on the Sundays leading up to VBS. So uh, the theme is Make Waves. We've talked about that, and we have a beach theme going on. And so uh, I got my board shorts on today because it's a little hot today, and this is, this is wonderful. Um, and so we talked about uh, the wave maker and creation. We, we talked about catching the wave and Jesus walking on the water. We talked about the life saver and Jesus is alive. He saves us all because he is alive. We talked about uh, making a splash last week and how to love people well. And today we end with this idea of the ripple effect that God can help us change. And by changing ourselves, we can change actually the world around us. And the text is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. It's very familiar. And in that text, uh, we have some essential and ingredients and, and processes of the change that is available to us to make. There's a, there's a path to travel. Uh, there's a problem that we will encounter, and it's always the same problem that we face along the way, and then there finally is a picture that we can use to see whether or not we are on the right track. And so let's start with this path that Paul lays out for us in Galatians chapter 5. And to do that, I'm, I'm going to take you back. Um, are there any old Pac-Man fans in the crowd? 
Uh, there's like three of us that are that old, okay? Um, but back in the day, I remember going to uh, places and they would have the big old stand-up arcade game called Pac-Man, and, and Pac-Man was, was just something that I did over and over as a kid, and I was never really good at it. One quarter or two quarters only lasted a few seconds until... I found a book. I stumbled on this book, and the book, I turned, and it had a pattern. It had a pattern for Pac-Man. And, and if you memorize this pattern, then you could get through all of the levels. And suddenly, my quarter that was only lasting a few seconds, now, now I could play as long as I wanted, really. And I got to uh, the point where I was able to put my little name, your initials on the leaderboard. I don't know if any of you remember that. And I uh, put my initials, Dusty Allen Drake, and it always turned out dad, right? And that was always like a, a weak attempt at humor, but it was really legit. Like, I didn't know what to do. I mean, that, those are my initials. Okay. But I found a pattern, and the game becomes easy when you find the right path. That's the deal. And that's what Paul is giving us here in this text. He's giving us a pattern. He's giving us a path. And it's uh, for you Xbox and PlayStation fans, it's a cheat code, okay? And the path involves two lists. In verses 19 to 21, Paul dives into a list and he calls it the works of the flesh. And then he gives us a second list in verses 22 and 23, and he calls this list the fruit of the Spirit. And those two lists are usually framed up as conflicting realities. And there is a sermon that we could preach about that, that we are always in a war. But we can also take them from a different angle and see them as Paul's whole vision of what happens when somebody enters the family of Christ through faith and in baptism, just like Taylor did this week, and then begins to let Christ rule their heart more and more. And there are stages of change and growth. And the end result is like looking at a mature apple tree whose branches are just loaded down with apples, but the tree never begins that way, right? How does it start? It starts as a little twig in, uh, with, with a couple little leaves in a black uh, butter dish. That, that's how it starts. And so it is with our walk with Christ. And so in the beginning, people before Christ are in the condition of flesh. That's what Paul says. They are born into human families in certain places with certain ethnic and cultural expectations. They speak a certain language depending on where, where they're born. And so for us in Bourbon County, most of us are from around here somewhere. Uh, there are We grow up with sexual norms and ex expectations of morality, and those are quite different in Bourbon County than you might expect on the East Coast or in Europe or in some other country. And so these cultural things determine how we function and what we run after. And, and for, to a large extent, in, in many lives, they are the only governing factors that um, determine what people do. And so people run after whatever they think is best to run after based on the culture around them. And if those desires are pursued to the fullest extent, then Paul points out that the natural outcome of that way of life is no surprise. They are the, the, all of the traits that are given to us in that very first list. They are signs of spiritual deadness because all of them lead to death. There are 15 words in that first list 
Uh, if you are left to chase whatever your heart desires with no guardrails on your life, then you will at some point run into sexual immorality or impurity or sensuality or idolatry or sorcery or enmity or strife or jealousy or fits of anger or rivalries or dissensions uh, or orgies or envy or drunkenness. Sometimes you'll run into those things very quickly if all you're doing is following your heart. And as I rattle those off, it's easy to see that some of those things on the list are sins of people that really don't know God. They're not believers. They're not really concerned about God. And those things on the list are fairly easy to distinguish. But then I want you to look closely because aside from those first seven that, that are easy to see, there, there's another eight sins that look very familiar. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy. Let me ask you, good church people, where in the world might you be likely to see any one of those in action? Is it not inside the walls of about any church? And the sad reality is that if we walk into any church anywhere, it is not uncommon for these things to be present. And we could probably make a pretty compelling case that they are found more inside the church walls than even outside. And the reason I'm saying this to you is that I need you to see that Paul is not just picking here on immoral people who do not believe. There are religious people that are in the exact same boat as people far from God. We are all eaten up by this spiritual disease that, that leads to pain, and it ends up destroying us if it is left unchecked. Just because you're a follower of Jesus does not mean that you get to skip over this first list, because there are plenty of words here that describe each and every one of us on certain days. And if one does describe you, if I rattled something off that you're like, oh man, that's me, that's your starting place. That's where you begin, but now the Spirit is going to give you a path. It's going to give you a pattern. The Holy Spirit calls us to new actions. He calls us to change, and then He gives us ways that we get to mark our progress, and He calls the change fruit, and the fruit is the second list. And the important detail here is that there is one fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, with nine different qualities, and these qualities are, are postures of the heart that no one can really do effectively if they're following their own prompts. And so, progress is made towards the qualities on the second list as we give more and more control over to the Spirit, and because when the Spirit is at work in us, this fruit begins to appear. We change into people who kind of match up with the kingdom that God is trying to build. And so the signs of life, aliveness, not like the first that list, that's deadness. The second list is all about aliveness. And in verses 22 and 23, he gives these nine qualities and they all work together. They all work together to make one fruit. Uh, if we just briefly defined each one, love is opening yourself up to serve another solely for the intrinsic value of who they are. That's what it means to love. How about joy? Joy is delighting in God for the intrinsic value of who He is. Peace 
is walking with confidence and trust through life because we know that God is in control and he knows more than we know. That's peace. Patience is a deeply forgiving spirit. It's opposed to an angry spirit. Kindness is a spirit full of generosity and it's opposed to a spirit of envy. Goodness means sincerity or integrity. It means to be the same person wherever you go. That's goodness. Faithfulness is dependability. It's a commitment to a cause. We could say this word, reliable. Faithfulness means that you're reliable. Then gentleness, or maybe if you're uh, looking at a different translation, the word will be humility. It's the same word. And a common way to put this one, gentleness, is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's what humility is. And then finally, self-control. The ability to always choose the important thing over the urgent thing. Self-control is the ability to take the long view instead of reacting to what's happening right now. Now, uh, we just breeze through those. If you want a deeper dive, we did a whole sermon series in 2019 called the More Sermon Series, and we talked about having more love, more joy, more peace, and uh, that's on our, our sermon podcast, so you can do a deeper dive into each one of those things. We welcome you to do that. You'll learn something, even if you went through that sermon series with us back then. But Paul's concluding line about all of this second list is this, against such things, there is no law. And the difference in the two lists is the same as the difference between a twig in a pot that the apple tree starts out as with some leaves and then the mature apple tree bursting with fruit out in the field that the apple tree becomes. And so the path that Paul lays out is the way to change my life. And here it is. We can see it. People start in the beginning. In verse 18, they're under the law. It means that I'm my own Lord. Uh, He kind of says it in a negative way. He says, if you're walking by the Spirit, you are not under the law. That's a negative way to say, if you're not walking by the Spirit, you are under the law, right? Um, And so, uh, that's where we start. Maybe I hear the gospel and make Jesus my Lord and Savior. I'm saved by grace through faith in baptism for good works. And then three, uh, after that saving experience, the Holy Spirit helps me make changes so that I'm no longer my Lord, no longer under the law. Now Jesus is my Lord. And every day he's more and more my Lord and I'm less and less my own Lord. And the end result is that I invite more and more into my life the ways of living that have no law written against them. I love that phrase. That's kind of a ridiculous phrase. It's a crazy way to pull it. And it's astounding to think about there are things in life that there are absolutely no laws against. There's no law against love. You can have all the love in your life that you want to have. That's amazing. There's no law against peace. You can have all of it you want. There's no law against joy. You can hoard it, and nobody will ever judge you for hoarding joy. You can amass all the kindness and the goodness and self-control that you want, and no one will ever say, no, 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 that's enough. You don't need any more. Now, that's a ridiculous way to say it, but Paul is effective when he does. There's no law against these things. And so, do you see the path? The path is 
we are going from, from under the law to no law. That's the path. Now, along that path, we are guaranteed to encounter a problem. And we always will. Here's how we envision change to work when we think about uh, a path and, and changing our lives. Uh, this is a picture um, of how we envision uh, at the top change to work. Here's a bike, and I'm going to get on it, and there's my goal, and I'm just going to bike to my new goal, and I'm going to change. But that's not how it works, is it? You know how it works. It's more like the bottom picture. We get on a bike, and there are hills and valleys and forests, and there are storms, and there's, there's a sea that we have to cross, and there's a canyon, and there's a big cliff that we have to, we have to climb. That's really how change works. Change is anything but a straight line shot. It comes hard. It, got, it, it has moats and forests and cliffs and canyons. And so the reason that it's this way is because of a little word that pops up four times in three of the verses that we read earlier in verse 16, 17, and verse 24. And the little word is desires, desires. The word is at the root of all of the problems that we encounter in this life. The word is the factor that will determine whether we get stuck or whether we make it from, no, from law to no law. The word is epithumia. Uh, in older versions, if you're reading from the King James Version, this is the word that is translated lust. Lust of the flesh. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, the King James puts a, a, a thou and a thee in there. Uh, the flesh lusteth against the spirit. That's what it says. Even in the ESV that we're reading from, it's just desires. And all of those kind of translations are kind of unhelpful. What it really means is in addition to desires. In other words, desires over and above your desires. Epithumia is to have super desires. It's to have abnormal desires. Or we could make it really simple and we could say it this, this way. It's what we over-desire. And our over-desires are where we have to focus all of our energy and resources if we want to change. And this is the thing that you need to chew on here, that the Scripture is saying that our problem in life is not necessarily our desire for bad things, but our problem in life is the over-desire that we have for good things. And I want you to think about that just a little bit, and you'll see it's true. We have all of these things in life that are important to us. They are good things. They are blessings from God. They are gifts that He's given to us. I want you to think about all of those things that you desire, and it's a good desire. You desire respect in your life. You desire love. You desire happiness. You desire joy. You desire kids. You desire a family. You desire food. We desire sex. We desire money. We desire accomplishments. We desire comforts. We desire health, and, and I desire a good steak every once in a while, right? And all of those are fine gifts to be enjoyed in the right measure and in the right context, but what happens when we over-desire some of those gifts? We could throw an example out, uh, money or provisions or material things. Those are great gifts from God, right? But what happens when we over-desire money and we begin ordering our lives and everything else around our bank account. It goes south pretty quickly. 
Over-desiring anything good in life is to put it on a level that it was never intended for. Over-desiring a family or a career or kids is to put so much emphasis on them that we end up asking them to do things for us that they were never intended to do. We end up asking our family or our kids to be our comfort, to be our peace, to be our ultimate hope. We actually end up asking them to save us. And when we do that, it always ends badly because that's a weight that none of those things can bear. They will always crash under that weight. And it's impossible for it not to lead to one of the first things on the first list. And so what do you do about the problem of over-desires, about taking a good thing and turning it into an ultimate thing, which is what we're all doing even right now. There's something in your life that you're taking and you're making into an ultimate thing. It's an idol. What do we do about that? Here's the answer. Here's what Paul says. Change what you adore. Change what you do adore. You adore. We, we, could, uh, we could make some really uh, some rhymes so that we remember that. Uh, we, could, we could say this, to win the war, change what you adore. Okay? We could say, to win the fight, change what you delight. That would work. Or this, to win the combat, change where your heart is at. Okay, all of those are dumb. Yes, they are. But the principle is gold. It really is. If you want to lose weight, then the long and short of it is that you've got to begin to adore broccoli more than cookies. It's pretty much that simple, right? It's hard, but it's simple. If I want to build muscle, then I've got to find a big enough reason to make push-ups a part of my life. And it's the same in the Christian life. If I want to love to characterize who I am, then I've got to enthrone something in my life that is so magnetic that it does nothing but push me into love always. So how do I do that? How do I change what I adore? And Paul gives us two helps here. Number one, he says, crucify your over-desires. Find those things that you're making too important in your life, more important than even Jesus, and those things that are creating the deadness and the works of flesh in your life, and he says, crucify them. What does that mean? It just means demote them. Demote them. Maybe the best way to demote them is to realize how empty they are. Look at those things that you think are so important and look at them in light of the cross. Because on the cross, you have a Savior who will die for you. Will that thing that you're making so important in your life right now, will it die for you? Then why am I making it a Savior in my life? It can never be that. I'm not going to look at this thing to be my Savior anymore. That's what it means, crucified. I'm not going to put this kind of pressure on it. I realize that all it will do in the end is leave me stranded. And so I'm going to crucify that desire. Now, number two, he says, cultivate the Spirit. Paul tells us how we cultivate the Spirit. He says it three different ways. He says we walk by the Spirit. He says we live by the Spirit. He says we keep in step with the Spirit. These over-desires are what cause destruction in our life, but I want you to look really carefully at who also has 
epithumia, these over-desires. Now, Paul doesn't explicitly write it this way. He just alludes to it very carefully. And and we're going to look at the NIV because it makes this ultra clear. He says that for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. He doesn't write it. He doesn't say the word, he doesn't use the word desires because you can't say that the spirit over desires anything in a bad sense. And yet he's alluding to the fact that the spirit does, in fact, over desire something. What is that thing that the spirit desires? And we get this hint in verse 24. It says this, those who belong to Jesus. And that helps us tremendously. Those who belong to Jesus are the ones who have crucified the over-desires in their life and the sin-desires in their life, and they are running towards Jesus because they belong to Jesus. And so there it is. That's what we have to desire. That's what we have to lust for. That's what we could say. Change that thing you adore and let the Spirit help you lust for the thing that He lusts for, which is Jesus, and it will throw out all of the other lusts in your life. John chapter 16, Jesus said that when the Spirit comes, what the Spirit's job is, is to glorify me. That's what He will do. The Spirit desires Jesus more than anything. He adores Jesus. He worships Jesus. He runs after Jesus. He points everything to Jesus and everyone to Jesus. He, and so when we read, keep in step with the Spirit, that does not mean in our life, try harder. That's what we think. Keep in step means try harder. No, it means worship more. It means Adore Jesus more and more. Look at him on the cross. See what he did for you. He's the only one that can bear the weight of the salvation that you need in your life. Adore him above everything else. The Spirit wants to show you the beauty of Jesus, and to the extent that you see it, you will become free of your over-desires. And so to get down this path from under the law to no law, we have to overcome this problem that we'll face along the way of our over-desires, and it means that I have to constantly evaluate things in my life that I have elevated to Savior status. What is that right now? What have I put in the middle of my life, in the center that does not quite belong? I've got to crucify it, and I've got to come to see Jesus as infinitely better than that thing. Now, how will I know I've succeeded? Paul gives us a picture to end with. And the word to remember in the picture is fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. Paul is very intentional about his picture here of fruit. The second list, he says, is the fruit of the Spirit. And we would expect that Paul wouldn't change his metaphors. We would expect that when we go back up to the first list, that we would read uh, weeds of, you know, Uh, weeds of deadness or something like that. That would be a good opposite of fruit, but Paul doesn't say that. The first list, he says, is a list of works. Works. Why does he say that? It's because they're all done under the law, and Paul mixes metaphors because works is something that you do. Works of flesh are things that you do, but the fruit of the Spirit is something you only open yourself up to. An apple tree doesn't stress and strain to produce apples. 
It doesn't worry about making apples. It just makes apples. Why? Because it's in the very nature of an apple tree to produce an apple. It just concerns itself with being what it is, an apple tree. It concerns itself with having roots and and leaves and moving water and doing photosynthesis. And the apples just come out of that. And so if I devote myself to this path, to the Savior that gave his life so that I could have life, I devote myself to the journey from going from under the law to no law, and I do that in every corner of my heart, then there will be something different that I've made ultimate in my life every day. And so I crucify it, and then I cultivate. I keep in step. I run after what the Spirit is running after. I see Jesus on the cross dying for me as my Savior, and I put that in the middle of all of those over-desires. And the result of that pattern will be fruit, fruit, love, joy, peace. But also, as a result of my own change, the world around me will change. A study was done of a couple of teams of missionaries, and both of these teams went to a foreign land, and both of these teams wanted to reach people who are far from God with the message of Jesus. Both of those teams went with their own strategy. When you dissected the strategy, you could boil down each strategy to one word. You could, you could call one team the, just the blessers and the other team the converters. The converters went in with this sole intention of just in converting people, just evangelizing people around them. Their primary concern was to get people in front of them and to engage in a conversation and to get them by the end of the conversation to make a decision for Jesus. They didn't really care about adapting to the local culture. That wasn't on their priority list. Just a yes to Jesus, a baptism, that's what they were, that's what they were after. The blessers went in with like a different mindset. Their goal was to simply be a blessing to everyone around them, to simply love, to simply, they would just say, I'm here to love whoever comes my way. I just want to be a blessing to this community where God has put me. And the study followed both of those teams for a couple of years, and two things became abundantly clear after all of that time. First, they discovered that the blessers Oddly, I mean, this isn't odd at all, right? This is, this is normal. We can see this. The, the blessers had a greater social impact on their communities than the converters. The blessers resulted in tremendous amounts of social betterment and good for their communities because they just said, how can I love well in this space? And that made their cities better. Second thing they found, and this was what was surprising, They discovered that the blessers, in addition to helping make their communities better places, were almost 50 times as successful in converting people to Jesus as the converts were. The actual number was 48 to 1. For every one person that the converters converted to Jesus, 48 people came to Jesus because somebody came into a community and just said, how can I love in the space that I'm in? The best way to change the world around you is to change yourself. 
And the path is to move from death to life, from law to no law. And the problem along the way is your over-desires, and we crucify them, and we cultivate the area around us so that the Spirit will always lead us back to Jesus. And the result of that is fruit in your life and in others. Now, there's a really simple test. This is what we're going to end with today that I want you to do this week. It's a test of spiritual growth. And to do it, you need to get a person that's really close to you. And you need to sit them down and look them in the face. And you just ask them this. Do you see more love in my life right now than you did last year? Do you see more joy in my life right now than last year? Do you see more peace in my life than six months ago? Do you see more patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Do you see more of those things in my life than you did six months ago or nine months ago or a year ago? If the answer is yes, and you have to do them individually, okay? Because the one you're weakest at, that's where you're at because they're all growing together to form one fruit. If the answer is yes, you celebrate. If you come to one, faithfulness, ah, I don't know, I don't know. If the answer is no, you crucify the over-desires, cultivate, you pull some weeds, not weeds, works, you pull some works out of your life, and you adore Jesus. You worship Him more and more. When it comes to changing the world around us, the Christian scriptures don't talk near as much about what we should say as about how we should live. And living by the Spirit means to change and change continually. And helping other people to know Jesus comes more by how I live than what I say. And so I walk by the Spirit. I'm led by the Spirit. I live by the Spirit. I keep in step with the Spirit and the fruit will come. God, we thank you for Jesus who leads us to love and joy and peace, and he leads us to more of it than we can stand. Would you help us to see the, the, just the foolishness of all of the things that we're trying to make the center of our life that can never be? Would you help us to demote them, crucify them, and put Jesus back in his rightful place? And when we do that, We will be people of love. We will be people that have been changed and we've become people that we never, never thought we could be. But Jesus has made it possible. Help us to look to him and change. And it's in his name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Would you stand? Let's sing.